right, well, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Um, just a few verses, but they are, they're packed, uh, just packed with information in verses 14 through 17. Uh, the title of the study is Things to Pursue and Avoid. So another strong exhortation coming from the pastor that wrote to this congregation these believers, these Jewish believers, they were being persecuted, they were being challenged, they were wondering if they had made the right decision to follow Jesus as Messiah, and um, he answers so many other questions along the way. Um, but here as we come to this portion, we get another strong exhortation, and we've had that uh, you know, already in this chapter. But in verses 14 through 17, we're gonna get two things to pursue, and um, actually four things to avoid. So things to pursue and avoid is what we will be looking at. Let's read together, beginning at verse 14, we'll read this entire uh, portion of scripture that we'll be studying, and then we'll come back and, and start digging into it a little bit. Therefore, whoops, that's verse 12. Verse 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears." So as we talk about these two things that we are to pursue, let's start with the word pursue. What does that mean? Because it's a, it's a word that it may surprise you that you've read before in the New Testament, but it's been translated persecute or persecution. So the word can mean positively to pursue, to obtain something um, you know, in, in a beneficial way, but it also has that negative side of pursuing with the idea to lay hold of, to do harm. So in both of these though, there's the idea of running after something, to follow in haste, to chase after. And this is what we are to do. We are to chase after these two things of peace and holiness. Now, the peace that he's gonna talk about, very clear if you see in verse 14, it's a peace with all people. And then it says, and holiness. And this would be our holiness unto the Lord, how we're living our life. But before we get into using and kind of dialing into how it's used in this verse, I just wanna remind us that in Christ, in our walk with the Lord, we have these gifts of peace and holiness. The peace that we have with the Lord has removed the enmity, the hostility that existed because of our sin and rebellion. That's been removed and now we have harmony, we have friendship, we have fellowship with the Lord. And that is a peace that we received, the Lord pursued us. The other aspect uh, that we are to pursue but is a gift that I wanna talk about is that of holiness. So we were sinful, we were separated from God through our unrighteous works. But in Christ Jesus, as he died upon the cross, he washed us and he cleansed us, making us holy, therefore being able to approach him in worship and having the hope of everlasting life. So that would be um, our positional holiness. And Colossians 2, uh, Colossians 1, 19 through 22, kind of combines both of these ideas, which are closely related, 
together. And we're, again, not so much about what the verse here is talking about, but the gifts that we have because they become a foundation for how we're going to walk out this pursuit. So verse 19, it says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace, so there's that peace, right, through the blood of his cross. And you who were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So you see how both of these are gifts that we receive through the ministry of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. Um, Hebrews 10.22 talks about this, something that we read not so many weeks ago. It says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So the holiness that we've received through Jesus Christ allows us to come near to him and to fellowship with him. And that is uh, one of the great blessings that we have had pointed out to us as we've gone through the book of Hebrews is that we have a high priest that is greater than the Aaronic priesthood. His name is Jesus of the order of Melchizedek. We have a a sacrifice that he has made which surpasses the sacrifices of the old covenant which can never fully remove the consciousness of sin but the Lamb of God, Jesus, is is also not only the offerer but he is the one being offered and we now can be condemned drawn near. And so the author of Hebrews is showing that there is a greatness that surpasses in Christ uh, than even what the old covenant foreshadowed and looked forward to. Now, to be careful in understanding that it is superior and that it was foreshadowing, it in no way makes the old covenant um, something that is um, wrong. It, It was a tremendous blessing to the nation of Israel and it prepared the world for the gospel message to come. So this is what he's saying to them. Now, as we kind of then dial into the pursuit that we are to have, so we've talked about the gift that we have of, of, of reconciliation and cleansing with the Lord, we're made holy, but now he says pursue peace with all people. Walk in harmony with all people. Yeah, first in the, in the house of God, but also out into the world. Because if we can't get along in here, we're probably going to have a hard time getting along out there. So I have no problem emphasizing the need for us to pursue peace within the the house of the Lord. But as long as we don't limit it. Because the, the, the term is broad. All people. And that means we should be walking in peace and desiring peace with all people. It's not just people that look like us or talk like us or have a similar background or part of our family. No, it's everyone this is our desire is to be peacemakers. That's, that's who God is, right? When he pursued peace with mankind, was there anybody he left off the list and said, yeah, we'll pursue peace with all these people, but not them? No, he didn't say that. We read in Titus that the, uh, the grace of God, which brings salvation, has appeared to what? All men. So the Lord has reached out and he's wanting to reconcile with all people. So the point is this, if we have this gift of standing of peace with God and he's pursued us, then what ought that to look like as we think about our relationships with everybody else around us? Not, maybe not right next to us, but I mean, we should be reaching out and pursuing peace with them as well. 
And the, 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 it's such a perfect model <clears throat> because it was our sin against him. We were the, the ones that messed up the relationship, but it was Jesus that pursued us. He was the one that was chasing us down, hunting us down for good and to bring blessing. And so as you think about those that have brought harm or discomfort or pain or misery or trouble into your life, the temptation to think is, well, I'm not going to pursue peace with them. But yet the word pursue kind of gives you the idea that things are messed up anyway, right? I mean, if you are walking in harmony with somebody, you don't say, we really need to pursue peace together. It'd be like, mm, I thought we were okay. That, that might be a response. Like, well, yeah, we are. Oh, what do you mean pursue peace? Well, I mean, we just need to maintain peace. Oh, you mean maintain peace. So the, even the fact that there's an exhortation to pursue peace kind of indicates that things aren't right. Now, that, that might be a little stretch, but not much. It's not very evangelistic, just a little evangelistic there. Okay, so, but we are to go and after all of these relationships. So when you begin to feel it's like, yeah, but they need to come to me. Well, aren't you glad that Jesus didn't do that with you and me? If we, if we had to, if Jesus said, well, I will wait for them to come to me. Well, what does the scripture say? There's none that seek after God. No, not one. No, not one. So we would have been, we would have been without hope. We would have been without any opportunity to be reconciled to the Lord. So not to diminish or even act as if the pain and the hurt that has come in your life is not real. We are told to pursue peace with those people. Now, you're like, yeah, but if I do that, I know how it's going to go. They, they may reject me. Well, if you have done what it says in uh, Romans, pursue peace with all, as, as, for, as much as it lies within you, um, seek to live peaceably with all men. If you have done that, then you have a clear conscience before God that there's nothing more to do, then okay. But if you're feeling like, no, I've got to do more, then don't push that thought away. Go and make that right. And it, does it make you vulnerable? Is this easy? No, this is not easy. And yes, it makes you vulnerable. Just ask Jesus, who came in pursuit of the world to reconcile, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, and yet there's only a few that find him as Lord and Savior. And he suffered greatly. So the effort and the pursuit of having peace with people where there's conflict, it's risky business. And anybody who tells you otherwise is just not being truthful with you. So yeah, it is challenging and it is hard. And there, you are making yourself vulnerable to, to be rejected. But do you really have a choice? If the king of kings is saying, go track down those that you need to have peace with? What are you gonna say? No, Lord? Well, that doesn't sound right. No, master? As your servant, Lord and master, I say, no, that doesn't sound right, does it? Because it's not right. And even Jesus in one place said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I tell you? Well, here's the thing that the Lord is telling you to do, is to go make it right with that person. So you do what you can do. You go in humility. You go in brokenness. You go and apologize. Don't go and apologize and say, yeah, but. Just, just go and make it right. Do what you can do. And then it will be upon them to make up uh, or to pick up that, that chance to be reconciled. There's plenty of people who did not pick up 
the offer of Jesus to be reconciled. So if you go through that process and that happens, you're like, well, what then? What then, pastor? Well, then you get to be a little bit more like Jesus, where you pursued somebody and they didn't want the relationship. And so you take that hurt, you take that pain, and you bring it to the Lord and you say, Lord, I know you know what this is like. I did this out of obedience to you. I, and I ask that you bring me comfort and you will bring me peace and this fresh hurt in my life. He knows about it. He can comfort you. He will comfort you. So pursue peace with all people and then pursue holiness. So again, it's this forceful word, this idea of chasing down Holiness. Now, Scripture talks of that positional holiness that I spoke of in the opening, where I've been made clean and righteous and I have a right standing with God. I have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus through faith right now. But then there's also that righteousness that will be confirmed in me when I pass from this life and I receive that glorified state and I am in his presence. So those two, I, I don't believe that's the pursuit that we're talking about. Now, if you've never come and pursued the Lord at all, then yeah, you need to come and get right with the Lord. But this is writing to Jewish believers. They've already been made right with the Lord. They've already been made clean. So I believe it's this third aspect of holiness that he's telling us to pursue, which is a sanctification process. It's that, it's that practical holiness, not the positional holiness, but that my, how I live my life, how I talk, how I think, how I respond you know, in, in life. That's what we are to be in pursuit of. And this is not a passive endeavor. Seeking to be holy is an active endeavor. It's, again, it's like hunting it down. You know, I'm going to hunt down that, that righteous speech. I'm going to hunt down that righteous mindset. I'm going to learn to, to walk and capture pure thoughts in my mind. I'm after those things. I'm going to learn how to be gracious when I have just been offended. I'm going to learn how to allow these things to become more developed in my life. And I do believe that is something that happens, that, the, that as you walk with the Lord, as the weeks and the months and the years go by, decades in some cases, that we become more like Jesus. You know, it's kind of strange that, you know, sometimes the people that have walked with the, you know, this grumpy old man, grumpy old woman, you know, and they're a Christian. Of course, my great-grandmother, Granny, used to say, grumpy old women used to be grumpy young women. That's what my 90-year-old grandmother, great-grandmother used to say. And she wasn't a grumpy old lady. She was very, very joyful, a wonderful woman. And so, but we should be getting more like Jesus, not less like Jesus, but this is what happens. We start off pursuing the Lord, and somewhere along the way, we get distracted. We find other things we make up the justifications. We see other people around us that have made the same compromises and somehow their lethargy brings us comfort in our lethargy. And that's, that's problematic. So pursue holiness. Now some would say, in this whole discussion about holiness, theologically they would hold a view that once you receive that positional holiness, then you are able to live a perfect sinless life until the day you're in the presence of the Lord. 
They've never hung out with me, I guess, because that's not possible. But they never hung out with you either because they would learn the same thing being around you. We are all a work in progress. And so that this is the theology then that leads people to want to try and be saved over and over again because if I sin, well then I probably, no. There's that positional holiness. One day we'll be glorified and we will be you know, in a perfect holy state. But right now, we're going from glory to glory. We're being you know, developed to look more like the Lord. So we're to pursue holiness. Our thoughts, our speech, our behaviors, our relationships. I already talked about that under the, the first point of pursuit. And then we read this. There in verse 14, it says, without which... No one will see the Lord. So the question is, he says, if you don't have which, or if you don't have this, then you're not going to see the Lord. But my question is, what is the which that we're talking about? Is it the pursuit of peace with all men, or is it the pursuit of holiness, or is it both? And, and really, as you dive into this a little bit, and you, you kind of look at it in the Greek, I mean, it's, it's very clear, because... Um, this, this little pronoun there for which, this little relative pronoun, um, whatever precedes it, whatever it's connected to, it's got to agree, it has to agree both in number and gender. So if masculine, it's got to be masculine. If it's feminine, it has to be feminine. If it's neuter, it has to be neuter. If it's singular, so you, you got the idea. So when you look at um, peace, that is a feminine um, noun and it's singular so it, it aligns with number but it doesn't align with gender but the pursuit of the holiness there that is masculine so it kind of is like it's like a, a map that leads you right back to exactly what he's saying he says without and I believe you can easily put this without holiness that's the which you can't see the Lord you won't see the Lord so that's true if you never come to Christ and you're never washed clean. The day you pass from this life or the Lord returns, you won't see him, um, except as a judge. But that's not the, the positive thing that's being talked about here, right? Um, he, or the positive is what's being talked about. So if this is talking about me going from you know, glory to glory, if this is me being transformed and being sanctified in my walk with the Lord, then what is it that I will not see of the Lord? And Jesus made the same point. Uh, Matthew 5, 8, blessed, or oh how happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So Jesus states it in a positive. The writer of Hebrews puts this in the negative. If you don't have holiness, you won't see it. Jesus said, if you do have holiness or purity, you will see God. Well, I think if you just begin to ponder your own journey in your Christian faith, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Think back to those times when you heard the, the Lord the clearest, when you saw him at work in your life the clearest. What was going on with your life? I think you're going to find that there was a, a pursuit of the Lord through the word and through prayer, through the way in which you lived your life. You were grieved and you were afflicted at even maybe the smallest of sin in your life. And this motivated you and moved you to deal with this and to, you know, you saw anger and you, you came to the Lord and you began to plead with him to make you have patience and long suffering. You began to repent of these things and now living like this in pursuit of the Lord and living for holiness, it becomes easier to see the Lord. And I'll just give you a couple of areas, not a, this list could be quite long, 
But here's just three things. You can see the Lord in creation when you're walking in holiness. You know, when you, when you, nobody can enjoy planet Earth like a Christian who's walking after the Lord because you see the beauty of God and, and what's been created. And you're able to look at the, the sunset, you're able to go to the beach, you're able to go to the mountains, you're able to, to look at wildlife, and you're able to just say, Lord, you are amazing. And it becomes a worship experience for you. You see the handiwork of God, his power and his creativity, and you worship him. You see him even in the sunset or in that landscape. But you can also, you can see the Lord in your prayer life. You hear the Lord in your prayer life. There's a warning in scripture to the husband that says that if you don't dwell with your wives in understanding and take care of them and treat them well, he says, then your prayers are not going to be heard. Well, if your prayers are not being heard, you're not going to get an answer. You're not going to see God working and moving in your prayer life. And so walking in holiness opens up that door to see God answer my prayer and to move in my life in that way. So th- this is another way. How about, you know, the worship service, the, the, the coming in and singing and hearing the word? If you're like, wow, the worship team just didn't do a very good job today. Are you sure? Did they sing songs that glorified the Lord? Did they, you know, get out of the way so you didn't look at them, but you're able to just get your mind on the Lord? Then maybe it's you. Maybe it's me. Well, it's not my favorite song. But did the song talk about the glory and the beauty of the Lord? And, you know, whether we all have those songs that we like, that we don't like, styles that we like, we don't like. But really, that's just our preferences. I don't think... the Lord cares as long as it's biblical, as long as it's stating the truth, declaring the truth of scripture of who he is, then I think we ought to be able to engage in worship and not be bothered by it. Or the Bible study, oh, the pastor just wasn't on today. Well, that might be true, but I at least read the Bible. That part was right. So you, you at least have that you've got to deal with. And you know, but these are the things They become very dull, they become meaningless, they become lifeless when we're not walking and following the Lord. And now we begin to say, well, I just, it's not what it used to be. You're not what you used to be. God is exactly who he used to be, working and moving in the same ways he's always worked and moved. But it's us, it's our heart, it's our life. And sin clouds that. I mean, if you just back up in chapter 12 where he says, lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us, it's the same idea. Pursue holiness. Now, if you don't pursue holiness and you allow carnality to thrive, maybe you would prefer to call it neutrality with Jesus to thrive, then you're gonna stop seeing him working and moving in your life. Can it really be that the creator of the universe who has made us and and designed us to have fellowship with him, that we could actually encounter him and that would be a terrible, miserable, boring experience? If it is, that's a reflection on you, not him. That's a reflection of me and what's going on in my life. Dive into the truth of scripture. Begin to be a person that communes with the Lord in prayer and fellowship Begin to answer the call of God and those things that he leads you to do in your life. I promise you it's not going to be boring because it's going to sound like this. Hey, you see that guy over there getting about ready to get in his car? Go talk to him. 
and tell him that I love him and I've got a plan for his life. I guarantee you, you will not be bored in that second. Your heart's going to be pounding out of your chest. And, and you begin to follow the Lord. Hey, I want you to go be a missionary. I want you to do this. I want you to get involved serving here. I want you to... And you begin to step out into these areas that the Lord is leading. You're, that's not going to be boring. It's going to be the most thrilling thing you've ever experienced is to follow the Lord. So, if you're not walking in holiness, you're not going to see the Lord and you're going to miss out on the joy of the Lord. So these are two things that we are to pursue. But then he gives us four things that we are to avoid in verses 15 through 17. And so we get a little markers in the, these verses, and it's the, the little word lest, L-E-S-T. There's three times in verses 15 and 16 that we find the word lest. And in one, the last usage of the lest, he's going to give us two things, Okay. So let's read here, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. So before we go through this list, let's consider that, that, those two words, looking carefully. It's one Greek word, and it's the same Greek word that is used for a bishop or an overseer in the church. It's the same Greek word. So you've read this in Timothy or Titus or in Peter where it talks about these people that are to oversee the flock. Well, this is the same word that we're finding here. But this time it isn't to the leader, leaders of the church. It's to every member of the church. And every member of the church is to have this oversight over one another. I love that. I love that fact that we all have the responsibility to be caring for one another and watching, looking carefully, overseeing. Now, the word itself means to look upon, observe, examine the state of affairs of something. It has the idea of guarding against something. So if you were a shepherd, you would be over, looking carefully over the flock not only supplying those good things for your flock, but you'd be looking for the danger of others that would want to steal or other wild animals, and so there's a protection. We should have this protective eye and care for one another and to make certain that we don't see somebody, and he's going to give us a list, but um, fall short of the grace is the first one. But uh, think about this, is that we all have this commandment to look carefully after one another. So if you have ever dismissed yourself as you saw a brother or sister not doing well, and said, well, it's not my job, that's the pastor's job. Well, it just became yours too. You are to have that oversight in their life. You may not hold the office, maybe you will, maybe you won't, but you all have the responsibility to care for each other. And the first thing that we are to avoid, the first error that we are to avoid, and it's probably even the hardest one for us to process here in our thoughts is that we should avoid falling short of the grace of God. So grace is available to all and it is not earned, right? You know, the grace of God that appears to all men has appeared, right? So that this, is, this has come to him, but it's not earned. You can't earn the grace of God. It's, that would be works. Salvation is not something we earn is something that comes by grace. So to fall short or to fail to reach is the idea. Um, actually, just to define it, to miss out on something through one's own fault. 
So the responsibility of falling short of the grace of God, it is on the subject who's falling short. So it's, this is a active verb, meaning it's the subject is doing it. It's not passive where something has come from the outside that has made you fall short of the grace of God. The emphasis, the responsibility lies upon the person that is falling short. It is that person's failure, not circumstances, and not another individual. You can't blame somebody, your spiritual state on somebody else. Now you can thank people that have helped you along, but you can't blame anybody for the failure of your spiritual walk with the Lord. It doesn't mean people are perfect, but you're responsible to walk in this grace of God. Now, I think what we're talking about here in this section of scripture is, is four ways to make certain we don't commit apostasy, that we stop following the Lord. So in the parable of the, the seed and the soil, there is the word of God, which is the seed, and there's the soil, which represents man's heart. Three of the soils do not bear fruit from the seed. Only one soil does. And so people will hear the word of God, and they may reject it. They may have a great beginning, but through trials or through cares of this life, they get choked out, and they don't end up actually um, you know, coming to the end and fruitful in their, their salvation. And that, that, I would say, is they're falling short of the grace of God. They have missed out because of their own fault to, to reach this goal. Grace is free. Grace is abundant. But those who reject the grace of God for pleasure or possessions or position will not inherit eternal life. And that it will be on them. It's not going to be on the Lord. It's not going to be on their mother or their father or their friend or, or anybody else. And we all have a place to look out for each other. We just talked about that. But you have to, make, you have to walk carefully. You need to look carefully, not only for your own walk, but for those around you. And, and if you see them walking down a, a path or a road of error, then you need to speak up. You need to be looking out for them. Judas is one who, who you could say, had seed fall upon his heart, but he fell short of the grace of God. So we need to make certain that we don't do this. This is really just a repudiation here of Jesus as Lord and Savior. I don't want to follow you. I don't want the salvation that you provide, the, the kind of you know, deliverance you bring, I'm not interested in. I have another way which I think deliverance should come. I don't want your grace. And then that is a person that fails to reach that place of salvation. They fall short of the grace of God. But God's grace is free and abundant. But you've got to come and get it. You've got to come to him. He initiates, but once that comes to us, we must respond to him. The next thing we are to avoid is that we don't become bitter. So not only are we to not fall short of the grace of God, but lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. The idea of the root of bitterness, I think we're kind of helped in our understanding of this, 
um, in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 29, 16 through 18, you can write it down and look it up later or look it up now. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to turn to it. Moses gives a warning to the nation of Israel, and he says, you've seen the idolatrous practices of all these nations around you. Don't let a root of bitterness spring up in you. And so you've seen what they're after. Now don't go after that. Uh, We must ever be mindful of those issues that can lead us away and to become negative against the Lord. To become an idolater is to have a root of bitterness against the Lord, is to be soured against following Jesus. That's what idolatry is. And in the Old Testament, they were rejecting Yahweh. And Yahweh says, I'm jealous for you. I want you completely. So if they rejected him, then there was this root of bitterness. And you can see that in Deuteronomy 29, where he says, don't go after the um, idolatrous ways. But there are other experiences that we can have that can bring a root of bitterness into our life other than idolatry. And we've, if you even followed the context of this chapter, we read about how whom God loves, he chastens. And some, under the chastening, the corrective hand of the Lord, they can become bitter, which is really something. Because God gives us his word. He warns us of the consequences of disobeying. He promises blessings if we follow. Mama tells us. Daddy tells us. Our brother tells us. The stranger wacko on the street tells us. Don't do this. Don't follow that. Every time we turn on the radio, we find a track. Everything is telling us, don't pursue this. And yet we pursue that. And now the consequences of that sin begin to fall upon our life. And many people at that point in time if they don't repent they're going to get bitter and they're going to begin to blame God for the misery they brought upon their life it's like time out for a second you were told by the Lord and by all of us that the word of God says this and if you pursue this it was going to bring hardship and destruction and pain into your life you ignored it you sinned and now you have hardship and pain and destruction in your life and you're going to blame God for it That's right. And they get a bitter heart. You maybe know somebody like that. Or maybe it's not because of some direct sin that happens, but it's the hard things of life that come. It's the trials, it's the difficulties that everybody on planet Earth is afflicted with, by the way. You don't become a Christian and now, oh, strange thing. We have only people on planet Earth that ever go through trials. Everybody goes through hard, painful things. But we go through it with an eternal purpose and with the aid and the help of our our Savior in our life. But still, people go through these trials and hardships and they can begin to become angry and bitter and soured against God for the things that they've gone through or that the Lord allowed this person to step in and do that. You know, you you are sovereign. You should have just stepped in and stopped them. Well, do you want him to sovereignly step in and shut your mouth and make you happy against your will? I mean, you see what I'm saying? I mean, it's like on the one hand, we, we despise the free will of man while we are using our own free will to rail against God. It's inconsistent. But I understand, I mean, we all f- feel this when hard things go on. It's like, Lord, you could have, you, why didn't you? Because sometimes he does. Sometimes he did it for her, but he didn't do it for him. And this becomes a difficult thing. 
And all I can say is don't forsake what you don't understand about the ways of God for who you know and understand him to be. He's loving and he's kind. We don't always get why. But we need to be careful of this root of bitterness um, that it doesn't spring up in our hearts. And notice what happens. This root of bitterness, verse 15, um, springing up causes trouble to the person who becomes angry towards the Lord. And by this, many become defiled. It goes out. It goes out beyond that, that, you know, individual. And so some of the people that bring the most defilement and the harm to the body of Christ are those who used to be in the church in some way. And they, I mean, there's a guy, when I was 19 years old, I was working out at Hertz Rent-A-Car, right there by Disneyland, and um, little office, and I had just started, and this older gentleman was there too, and he um, used to be a pastor. He's an ordained pastor, I know, because he told me like 172 times that he was an ordained pastor. And then he would go on these tirades of cussing and filthy language and all this sexually graphic stuff, and he would just do it over and over again. I never once had to defend myself because all these older ladies would come to my defense there, and um, they used all the same foul language to rebuke him. Um, so, I mean, I heard it all day long, and, and this guy just said, he goes, what, what's wrong? Are you afraid it's going to defile you? you afraid I'm going to mess up your faith you're going to walk away from the Lord and I just said what comes out of your mouth is not going to defile me it's what's in the heart that defiles and you know and his goal was just to do this now I can look back now and think what's this like 65 year old man 70 year old man who used to be a pastor why is he doing that to a 19 year old guy that's wanting to follow the Lord right here he had become he had a bitter Root that got going in his life and it soured him to the Lord and he wanted to turn as many people away from the Lord. On the younger side of it, one of my first, uh, when I was in ministry as a pastor, the first time I had an intern as a, as a youth pastor, I had a couple of them. And um, this guy at the end of his life walked away from the Lord. Um, it's very tragic, it's very sad. He went around to everybody that he had ever led to the Lord and this is a guy that was on ministry. He was on the mission field for years and led many people to the Lord. He ended up going back to everybody he could find and tell them not to follow Jesus, that it wasn't real. And then he went out and took his life in the field. Yeah, it was such a, such a sad, sad story. Yeah, this is what happens. Those who get this bitter root going on in their life, they can become the worst influence I mean, there's the atheist that's out there. There's a person who hates Christianity, but the real damage comes from those that have allowed a root of bitterness to develop in their heart and their life. So mom, dad, don't let that happen. Brother or sister in the Lord, don't let that happen. Um, the fourth thing, or the third thing that we are to avoid is immorality, and we're in verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person. So this this last statement gives us two, a fornicator and an ungodly person, profane person. So what is fornication? Well, this Greek word is pornos. It is a broad word that encompasses all types of sexual immorality. It in, it, you know, uh, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, lesbianism, and any other uh, 
act of sex that is not found within, because moral, sexual, moral sexuality is uh, that intimacy that is shared between a biological man and a biological woman in holy matrimony. That is where it is permitted, but everywhere else, it is not. And so in some way, in the context of this, he talks about how sexual immorality can have this same, he's putting this in the same context of falling short of the grace of God and having a root of bitterness. Because it is such a, a, an area where so many are led astray. And if you read through the Old Testament, the distance between idolatry and sexual immorality is like about that far. And they're right on top of each other. So often, the way in which that idol was worshipped was through some sexual act. And so idolatry and sexual immorality, I don't know if you can even really separate them. They are one in the same, and they certainly are in many places in the Old, Old Testament. And so idolatry is, is turning from God and turning to another. So in this context, it's turning from the relationship with God to an illicit relationship with the person. I would rather have that sexual gratification with that person than to have a relationship with God. I realize that's pretty hard, but I believe that's exactly the choices that we make when we follow the Lord. It certainly is true in our relationship with husband and wife. If you go and have a sexual relationship with that man or with that woman, you've made a statement about your spouse. Now, hopefully it's not the final statement, but it's a statement. And so it is in our walk with the Lord. And really, I mean, it's, it's spiritual adultery that's taking place. So the Lord calls us to walk in sexual purity. A thing that seems like is just... It's the, the world is obsessed with sexual immorality. I mean, just obsessed with it. And we need to make certain that we are, are walking carefully. The last thing is, is not to be a profane person. Again, we see that there in verse 16, like Esau. And the example that we're given is that for a morsel of food, he sold his birthright to his brother Jacob, his twin brother. Esau had been out hunting. He came in from the field. He was hungry. And his brother Jacob had just cooked up a pot of lentils. And he says, hey, give me some of that. And he says, no. Well, I'll give it to you, but for your birthright. The birthright was a double inheritance and the spiritual care of the family. And he says, sold, you can have it. He despised that blessing, that inheritance, that privilege that he had been given. And in Christ, we have an inheritance and we have a privilege and we have a blessing. And the warning is to not become like Esau that valued the, just the carnal things of life over the spiritual things of life. He did not regard the position that he had been given, the standing that he had as the eldest son. He rejected that. And so how much more important and valued should our walk with Jesus be and the inheritance that we have in him than the desires of our flesh? And yet, so often, that is exactly what we find ourselves living for. Now, the lesson from Esau is that when he made the mistake for carnal, temporary pleasure, he forfeited that which would last forever. When he came to the point where he realized what he was done, he sought with tears, verse 17, he sought with tears to get this all right. 
but the time had passed. The blessing was gone, and he could not go in repentance, even with a ocean full of tears, and get things back because he had given it away. And so it is. The person who rejects Jesus Christ and the blessing and the inheritance that he wants to give in this life, when you pass from this life and you go into the next, you cannot at that moment shed three oceans full of tears and find that you will be able to receive the salvation that is being offered to you right now. The time to walk with the Lord is now and is not to delay and is not to be deceived. We've been told to pursue peace and holiness. Without holiness, we're not gonna see the Lord. We've been told to avoid falling short of the grace of God, becoming embittered towards the Lord, becoming immoral, or just becoming carnal and ungodly, not esteeming the things that we ought to esteem. And so may we hear the voice of the Lord and may we respond. Let's pray together. Lord, your word is, it is sharp. Lord, and it does separate different parts of our our life and our thought. It shows us what is pure. It shows us what is carnal. It shows us what is righteous. It shows us what is unrighteous. And Lord, would you speak to us and may you give us the grace to respond. May we not be like Enoch that rejects what you offer only to go satisfy and something that's going to perish. I want to give you just a, res- a time to respond. You've heard the message. The Lord's been speaking to you. Maybe there's a relationship you need to go get right or at least pursue it. Maybe you're, it's going to result in, you know, another rejection. But if the Lord has not freed you from pursuing it, then, then pursue it. As far as it lies within you, seek to live peaceably with all men. If you went and you were gracious and humble, more than ever, would it have a different result? Pursue holiness and avoid these things that can shipwreck your faith. Lord, you're worthy of followers, disciples that esteem you in your ways. Lord, we want to just declare that we are glad to be on this side of of salvation. We can look back and see all that you've done for us, and we're grateful. And Lord, what you ask of us is it's reasonable, Lord. This is a reasonable act of worship, is to follow you. Lord, we pray that if there are any here that don't know you, that you would draw them to yourself. They would come to know you and esteem the inheritance and the the eternal life that you desire to give. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand together.